Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Jesus was so tired that he laid down on some of the, the rigging, maybe the ropes or whatever, laid down and fell asleep. I mean, imagine if you're going from sunrise till sunset. And so he falls asleep and they're headed naked their way across the, the lake. And we aren't sure how far they were in. I, my guess is they were getting close to the middle. And all of a sudden, a huge windstorm came up. And, and, you know, we think a windstorm, yeah, well, big deal. Well, this is a pretty, this is a wide open sea, lake, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I remember, and, and Amber and Glenda, you guys probably remember, Darlene and, and Brandon. You remember when we were standing on Kersey Beach? And because we'd gone to this archaeological dig and we're talking to the archaeologists, we're standing this in the middle of the afternoon. And all of a sudden, the wind picked up. And we were on the, the side they were headed to. So out in the middle, it was worse. But the wind picked up, I mean, huge wind. The waves start up, big, temperature drops, and the sky kind of gets dark, and we get, got a little bit of rain, not much. But the point is, the, the way the countryside is there, there's an area where every now and then as the, the conditions change, the wind, it, the cold air comes down off the mountains and out and just rushes across the Sea of Galilee. And, and we saw a mild version of it. But it happens like that. And so... These guys are out in the middle of this lake, and the wind is so bad that they, you know, they're barely trying to keep this boat from capsizing. It's filling up with water, and they're afraid that pretty soon it is going to capsize, and they are miles from shore, all right? And, uh, you know, how do they even survive that? How do they make it back to land? And so they are really fearful, and they, say, they think, we are going to die, you know, this is not what we expected when we set out on this, right? It wasn't our expectation. Things have not gone the, gone the way we would have planned for it to go. And we don't know if we're going to make it. We'll come back to that story in a little while, but what I want to say to you is I feel like our lives for the last couple months here, two to three months, have been kind of like that, what the disciples experienced on the, the Sea of Galilee there. And we set out, and then things got crazy, haven't it? It hasn't been crazy. Have any of us in our lives ever experienced anything like this? I've never preached to a group of people with strange-looking faces, right, like I am right now. I have never preached for weeks on time to a basically empty auditorium. And all the things are telling us, and now, now the news is changing again, right? What they expect me, it's just up and down, very much like these waves. And, and, and I know some people have struggled. How are we going to make it? What's going on? And some people have lost their jobs, right? Some people have lost loved ones. Some people have lost their lives. And so we find ourselves in these stormy waters of life trying to figure out how do we navigate this? And so, so that's what I want to talk to you about today the coronavirus and, and conspiracies and, and Christians. And I don't usually talk about, I don't usually have this kind of sermon, but it's really, I feel like the Lord led me to this for us today, okay? So let's talk about the first thing. Let's talk about the coronavirus. I want to describe the coronavirus to you today as an end times rehearsal. Okay? End times rehearsal. 
I mean, you know, like I said, so many uh, things have happened, and upheaval, and, and don't hear me, please, nobody out there, nobody in here set to hear me telling you, oh, the coronavirus means the world's coming to an end. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. But when I talk about this rehearsal, what I'm trying to communicate to you is that I think we have seen and experienced some things and are experiencing some things that help us to understand the way things are going to get someday and how those things could possibly come to pass. And so um, the first thing I would say is this, that I, I think that what we observe is that there's a growing readiness for the world to come together providing the opportunity for a powerful leader to arise, right? I mean, there's a sense in which, you know, the whole world has been affected by this, right? And, and they're interacting and trying to help each other, which is an awesome thing, needs to happen, and that's good. But that also needs to happen for the end times. Let me back up before I, before I continue talking about this. Let me just refresh your memory. When we talk about the end times, we're living in what's called the church age or the age of grace from the time Jesus uh, came, died, rose again, and tell the next thing on the prophetic horizon here. Um, and that is called the rapture of the church. Now, not every Christian agrees on these details, okay? But this is the way I've come to understand the way I preach and teach it, okay? So the next event for us is called the rapture. And that's where God takes all of the Christians out of the world. Okay, we're caught up to, to heaven to be with him. And then what follows is a seven-year period on earth called the tribulation or the great tribulation. And it's a time of judgment upon the earth. It's the time when there will be huge problems in the world and that will lead to the, arise, uh, the rising of what we call the Antichrist. Because he's gonna come along and provide a solution. He's gonna lead the world out of all of those troubles. Now this isn't gonna be a good thing, <laughs> okay? But it's gonna seem like a good thing to those who are here at that time. And so for seven years, and of course, by the end of that time, God is judged and is brought in. At the end of the seven years, the Bible, my understanding of the Bible is that, that all of us who are in heaven with the Lord, that we return with him to earth at the end of that seven years. That's called, this is called the second coming of Christ. Christ actually comes to earth, the second coming. And at that point, he sets up a kingdom, his kingdom on earth, the one that's been promised throughout scriptures. And, and that he's going to set up this kingdom on earth. Sin is going to be restrained and held back for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, God is going to make all things new. Perfect. No sin again. Okay? And that will be the eternal kingdom. Okay? So we find ourselves here in this age between, like I said, the time when Christ came and, and died for our sins and rose again. And the next event is the rapture. That could happen before we're done here today could happen in the next 10 seconds. Think, let's see. <laughs> What's that? It no, it didn't happen, I know it didn't happen. So, um, but my point is, is we don't really think of it, but it could have, couldn't it? And it could happen at any point in time. That, that rapture could occur and God will take all of his people out of the world. Now, let's think about this. So then the hard times begin on earth during this seven year period. Um, we have had in the world, oh, let's see, I wrote it down here. Let me, I don't wanna just guess at it. 
Yes, that's right. Um, I forget how many millions of cases in the world, but there have been 300 deaths so far in the world. 300. 300,000 plus deaths around the world because of the coronavirus. Okay, well, that, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty extreme, wasn't it? What if it was two billion deaths? Well, early in this seven-year period, this tribulation period, it says that there's wars and through natural cause and occurrences that there are going to be a fourth of the world's population is going to die. Now, would the world be motivated to get together and try to figure out how to stop this, how to deal with it, how to survive this? Yes, so you have this whole motivation for the world to come together. And what's going to happen is someone is going to arise and be this leader who is able to lead and address these problems. And he will be the Antichrist. Now, if, if I'm understanding of Scripture is right, we won't be here for that. Okay? Which is good news. But you see how this is... Now, this hasn't specifically happened for us, but do you see... Let's go to the next point here. That um, there's an increasing willingness to trade away freedom in exchange for a sense of safety. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Anthony, please. Increasing willingness to exchange freedoms for a sense of safety. Have you noticed that? Right? I mean, you know, there are people who think we still ought to all be at home with the doors closed and not going out because of fear, right? And they're willing to give up their freedoms. And I know a lot of us have struggled with that. Okay? But more and more we see this kind of thing happening. We'll give up freedoms to feel secure. And that is exactly the kind of thing that will have to happen during the tribulation. People have to, to comply with what is going to come down from the Antichrist. They're going to have to give that up, okay, those freedoms. So we see that happening. So what I'm trying to show you here today is not that, oh, it's like this, because I, like I said, I think it's going to be much worse, much more severe during the tribulation period. But things that once seemed, how could that happen? You read the prophecies, okay, it's supposed to happen. How could that happen? Can you see it a little better now? Right? End times rehearsal here, so to speak. And then we have this. This is on the specter, and this, thank you, hasn't all happened yet, but there's talk about it, and that's a government-approved um, proof of health in order to go to the store or run a business, do anything in public, Right? Because they're talking about getting this vi uh, the vaccination up and going. And it's talking. I said, I hope it doesn't happen this way, but it might happen. Uh, the idea is talk of, well, you don't have to take the vaccine. But if you don't take the vaccine, then you are not allowed to go out in the public and do this, that, and the other thing. All right? Or you've got to prove that you have already had it somehow, right? That you're immune. Proof of health. Okay. Now, we don't think about it. But you understand that in the tribulation period when the Antichrist is here, there's going to come a point where he is going to require proof of loyalty to him in order to be able to buy and sell, to do business. So that's coming. So once again, do you see how that is so foreign to us? What do you mark? Who's going to take the mark? What's the, hey, you know what? There are an awful lot of people right now that would gladly say, let's do that because they're scared. You see? And so we have this end times kind of a, a rehearsal. So again, the idea is that these prophecies that used to seem far-fetched 
start to seem plausible. Now I can see how that could happen. All right, so, wow, the prophecies aren't as far-fetched as they seem sometimes, are they? Okay, so the scripture says this. Jesus said this in Luke 21. He says, do not be terrified. Okay, for these, go ahead if you go, go to that, Anthony, please. Do not be terrified, for these things must first come to pass, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Okay, so these things have to come to pass. Uh, and then in, uh, a little later in that chapter, he says this. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. Now, he... he he may very well have been talking to people who were around during the tribulation who were going to read the scriptures. That may be who he was really talking to. But what I want to say to you is this, that as we see this end times rehearsal, we start to see, wow, I can see how those things could happen. Right? It makes sense. The prophecies are true. Well, here's what that means. That means Jesus is coming back. Amen. Anybody happy about that? Amen. He's coming back. We don't know when. Uh, I'd love to see it in my lifetime, but it may not happen in my lifetime. But he is coming back, and we need to remember that. Coming back for us, right? What a blessing that will be. And so we ought to think, how do, I, how do we live our lives then? Well, we need to live our lives ready for him to come back. You know, I, I should live the way he wants me to, right? Be much more exciting. I, I don't know what this is going to be like, but could you imagine if you aren't living for him and you're doing your own thing, and all of a sudden he comes back and you go, oops, wasn't ready for that. All right, so Jesus is coming back, all right? So the end times rehearsal, this coronavirus thing. Now, what about conspiracies? Are there conspiracies? Are there? Yes. <laughs> there are conspiracies. Now, I mean, there, there are conspiracies. The word, the word conspiracy is the idea of a, you know, usually a smaller group of people behind the scenes, right? Kind of manipulating things and causing things to happen, usually for bad things, right? For evil or ungodly things. And so we think of conspiracy like that. But so those kinds of conspiracies do go on. Talk a little more about that in a minute. The problem is, is that it's hard for us to really know, isn't it? Because the whole nature of a conspiracy is it's what? Hidden. And so it's hard to get at that stuff and hard to know that stuff. But I tell you what, if you want to, you could spend the rest of today watching videos on the internet about conspiracies related to what's going on. And not just today, probably the rest of the week, right? I mean, on and on it could go. And, and some of you might say, well, yeah, but QAnon says. And for those of you who don't know what, what that means, that's fine. Those of you who do know, I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, what I want you to understand is this. That whatever the conspiracies are, whether they're, they're real or someone's making it up or whether they're part, because that's the one thing. Sometimes conspiracy theories get found out to be mostly true. That happens. And so whatever's going on there, I want you to understand this, that conspiracies are limited. They're limited by God's sovereignty. Is God sovereign over all? He rules over all? Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. This is Jesus is on trial before Pilate. John chapter 19, we're going to start in verse number 5. 
says, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. He shows to the Jewish leaders there. There he is. That's the guy you're so upset with. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Let's just stop right there. Was there a conspiracy going on? Yes, there was a conspiracy going on, because the, the religious leaders behind the scenes were plotting and making plans. How can we catch Jesus in something? So that we can accuse him and get rid of him. That was what was going on. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die. This is stop. They weren't allowed to, well, they weren't supposed to be allowed to take lives. The, the, only the Romans had that authority. But he says, okay, so according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. It's interesting if we look at Pilate and, you know, as he goes through this thing, Pilate is, it doesn't know what to do with Jesus. And he's concerned about it. Maybe there is something to the claims about Jesus. And so he has some concerns. So it says here, he was, uh, Pilate heard this saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus. So he goes back in time and says, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. And we know the rest of the story. He ended up not. He ended up letting him be crucified. But look what Jesus said. Pilate said, don't you understand? I have this power. I can crucify you. I can release you. Why won't you talk to me? Why don't you respond to me? And Jesus says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. So, that means God allowed this to happen, didn't he? God was at work accomplishing something. And so very clear, when we talk about conspiracies and what's going on out there, we need to understand that they can't succeed unless what? Unless God doesn't stop them, unless God allows it. And in that sense, he gives them the power. So we don't need to worry about those because... If God has allowed it, then God has good purposes in it. Not that it's a good thing, but God has good purpose. Turn over the book of Acts, chapter 2, Peter's first big sermon. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. This is part of what he says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested, by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom, by the way, God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I kind of get a chuckle out of that. You guys crucified him. By the way, he's alive. <laughs> anyway, verse 23, so clear. Who, who was behind the very Son of God being crucified, dying for our sins, and rising again? Who's behind that? It's not a hard question. God was, right? 
Who conspired and did the deed? The religious leaders of Jesus' day. But they could not have done it if God had not allowed it. And we see God had a purpose to accomplish and therefore allowed Jesus to go to the cross and die and pay the penalty for our sins. So my point is this. When it comes to the idea of conspiracies, um, we don't need to be afraid of them. Whether they're true or not, we don't need to be afraid of them because they are subject to God's sovereign will and purposes, okay? All right, and if he allows it, it's because he's working out some good purpose in life, all right? Second thing about conspiracies, there is an ongoing satanic conspiracy. Satan is at work in the world. He's working behind the scenes. He's, he, he's the Bible describes him as the ruler of this present world, the, the world system separated from God, doing its own thing. He's behind this, and so he is at work. And so if he's at work, should it surprise us that there, the Bible, Jesus describes Satan as a liar and a murderer from the beginning, a deceiver. That's his primary method. Would it surprise us that he has deceived people, men and women, to buy into things that aren't true and then they work to make those things happen? Right? Satan is behind much of what goes on. We don't got to be flipping rocks and trying to see, is he under there? No, just know it. There is a spiritual battle going on in our world that affects what happens out in front of us. But the better news is this. There is a divine conspiracy. There's a divine conspiracy. God has a conspiracy going. Now, we're going to change the word because usually we think of conspiracies as this, this planning behind, you know, kind of secretive behind the scenes for evil purposes. But for God, he's doing the same thing, but what? For good purposes, for godly purposes. There's a, a divine conspiracy God is much, much at work behind the scenes. I want you to think about this. Let me see here just a minute before I, yes. So, uh, during the, the, this uh, coronavirus shutdown, we've been doing our live stream every day at 1215. So a couple, two or three of the studies we've done have brought us to this point that God's at work behind the scenes. He is. And so I just sat down and started just kind of brainstorming through what's the scripture say about behind the scenes. And uh, here's a list of some things. And I'll move through it quickly. God was at work behind the scenes when he told Noah to build a boat when there wasn't a rain cloud in sight. Okay? And what he was doing was going to keep the human race alive. Uh, he was behind the scenes when he protected Abraham's wife Sarah. When Abraham made some really poor choices, God was at work behind the scenes. Uh, he was at work when Abraham's servant, uh, no, excuse me, when when he told Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac, right? And God knew what he was going to do. Abraham didn't know. And of course, we know how he miraculously provided a substitute, and that provides the whole world with the picture of what substitutionary atonement's about. He was behind the scenes when Abraham's servant was led miraculously to the exact person God wanted Isaac to marry. Boy, was he behind the scenes throughout Joseph's life, wasn't he? leading him to where he needed to be, when he needed to be there, prepared to do what he needed to do when he got there, all of it to keep his people Israel and his promises to them alive. He was behind the scenes when he told Joshua to march around Jericho. Josh didn't, didn't know what was going to happen, did he? God knew what he was going to do. Bring those walls down and provide a victory for them. He was behind the scenes when Gideon's army defeated thousands with a small army of 300. He was behind the scenes when David defeats Goliath with a sling. He was behind the scenes when Jesus was born, when Herod tried to kill him. And what God keep doing? Warning them, moving them. He's behind the scenes at work. 
He was behind the scenes, as we just read, when the religious leaders of Jesus' day conspired against him in, in, in actually fulfilling God's plans and purposes in the process. He's behind the scenes each and every day in the history of the Christian church. And he's behind the scenes each and every day working in my life and in your life because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. God's divine conspiracy behind the scenes. So this divine conspiracy um, yeah, go ahead and go forward a couple of slides, Anthony, if you would. All right. So God's church with God's mission is God's conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. The church doesn't seem like a conspiracy. Well, think about this. Jesus starts with 12 men of no special significance to the world. And he tells them, I want you to go in all the world and make disciples. And, and we've stood on that hill, in that mountain actually, in uh, there by the Sea of Galilee where Jesus pointed them to, toward Europe and toward Asia and down toward Africa. Go to all the world. Make disciples. Twelve men. Do you know that uh, today there are over 2.3 billion people who would call themselves Christians? Quietly behind the scenes, this conspiracy goes on. And there's about 600 million who you could properly call Bible-believing Christians. 600 million. Isn't that amazing? One life at a time, one person at a time, reaching, going. You know, in our day and age, in our culture, in the last however many years, we, we have big churches. And we all, this has not always been the case. And it may not always be the case in the future, right? We already discovered how that can happen. But it doesn't matter. Let me say this to you, that if, if something happens and, and if the government decides and they're enforcing it that we can never meet here again, guess what? The church goes on. It's going to meet in my house and it's going to meet in your house and we're going to meet places. And even if we're persecuted, we're going to meet, right? Are we? You guys with me on that? You're not disappearing anywhere? Okay. See, so... This is God's conspiracy. The gospel goes out. In fact, Jesus told a parable about this. It says this. Go ahead, Anthony, if you would. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. And so the church with the gospel, with its mission, is like that. We're out there slowly but surely spreading throughout the world. And that's, by the way, start seeing yourself that way. Everywhere you go, you're like this leaven. You're starting, it's like yeast, right? You're going to do that. And where is this going? Where is this conspiracy headed? It's headed here. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where this conspiracy is going. It's a good thing, right? You're glad you're part of this conspiracy? You could you know, go out this week and talk to somebody. Man, I found out in church that that I'm part of a conspiracy. You want to know what it is? Talk to him about the gospel, right? So this whole idea of conspiracies, they do go on, but listen, God's in charge, and we don't need to be afraid of those things. So brings us down to what is a Christian to do? What's a Christian to do in light of all these things we're talking about? Well, the first one is this, don't be fearful. Yes, are there things you're afraid? Yeah, I mean, it happens. Right? I've thought, you know, gee, I don't particularly want to get the coronavirus. 
Yeah, I'm getting up there in a little bit in those places where I got some risk factors. I don't really want to get it. But at the same time, I'm not going to live in fear of it. Okay? So, uh, the scripture says in, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The power, the ability to respond to things, to do what we need to do. His strength when we're weak. Love, perfect love, casts out fear. When we're motivated by love, we're not motivated by fear. Okay? And a sound mind, that means we can think biblically about these things. We don't have to buy into all the hype and the fear and the, the panic, that kind of stuff. We just don't happen to. So don't be fearful. Now, there are really only two approaches to this issue of fear. And it's this. If you don't fear God, you have reason to fear a lot of things everything else, really. But if you will fear God, you have no reason to fear anything else. Now, what do we mean by fear? Uh, just think of it this way. I mean, I'll just use myself as an example. You know, if, if, if you came in, I'm sitting here in my office, whatever, and you came in, and um, I'm not paying, hi, how you doing? And then you set down a tarantula in front of me. You guys know how I love spiders, right? <laughs> Big fuzzy ones I really don't like and it screws across in front of me. What do you think I'm gonna do? Oh, that's cute. No, I'm gonna probably fall over backwards in my chair, run out of the office screaming. At least until I get my head back together, what's going on, right? But once you see is what did the fear do? When I'm fearful of what? It takes over, doesn't it? Whatever it is that I'm fearing has control of me in my life at that moment. Okay, so we are to fear God. That means we need to look at him as the most important thing in our whole life. Not thing, a he, who. Most important in our life, governing everything else. Just like something that we were afraid of would govern us, we need to let him govern us that way. Okay? And when we fear him that way, and when we put, um, that puts me in a proper relationship with God. We sang about it. Lord, I belong to you. My heart is yours. I've surrendered to you. We're following you. We're not turning back. Does the Lord take care of those who love him and serve him? He absolutely does. Now, that doesn't mean you won't experience hardship. I could get the coronavirus and die. Then I get to go to heaven. Okay? So, but the point is I don't have to be run by that or you know, have my life motivated by those kinds of things. I fear God. And you don't have to be afraid of anything else. But if you don't fear God, everything's up for grabs. You never know what's going to happen in your life, what's going to get you, okay? All right, so the second thing, what's a Christian to do? A Christian should always be a good neighbor. Good neighbor. And so let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Uh, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then what we call the golden rule, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Treat them that way. So I want you to know that, you know, we stopped having services a week before it was absolutely required. We could have had one more week of service, March 15th. And originally I thought we would, but then after a little talk we realized, no, let's show that we love our neighbors, that we care, and we don't want to be a part of, you know, continuing to express that we want to work together and show that we love our neighbors, all right? I don't know what's up with that sound, just ignore it, okay? It's a conspiracy. Um, <laughs> But the idea is to always love your neighbors. 
And so we need to think about it as we go through it. I get it. I mean, I hate wearing a mask. I don't like it. It felt so weird coming in today. I'm so glad I got to preach and take mine off. Okay? But the reality is, is and the medical information keeps changing, all kinds of, but it doesn't really matter because the idea is this, that generally speaking, and if I wear a mask out in public, it communicates that, hey, I do care about you guys, right? And so all the way through this, how you know, would we want to be treated with things? That's the, the golden rule on this idea of loving others. Now, uh, a question comes up, and you've seen it in the news and, and dealt with it. Um, yeah, what about when we disagree as Christians about what it means to be a good neighbor? And this happens, right? Because we know there's a church, at least one church in town that said we're open and, and we don't care what you think. We believe God wants us to get together and worship and do that, right? And I'm gonna to talk to you about how we need to respond to these kinds of things. But I saw Christians online hateful, hateful comments toward this pastor in this church. This is a church that believes the Bible, preaches the gospel, different than us, yes, very much so, in a sense of being very conservative in all things, you know, that they would do how they would dress and music, they would, all that kind of stuff, very different than us. But let's look at the scripture. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 14 how we respond to these things. He says, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? And I saw a lot of contempt online towards our brother. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each of us shall give account of himself to God. I got a lot to take care of already. Okay, let's go to the next verse. Let's go to the next verse. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And so the idea is this, that when, when we disagree I'm not going to be, as a Christian, if, if you as a Christian are seeking to follow the Lord and do what you believe he does. In fact, if you're convinced God wants you to do something, do you have any choice? Now think about that. If you're convinced that this is what God wants you to do, do you have, can you really choose anything else? No, you must do what you believe God wants you to do. Well, but what if that's different than I think? God says, don't, don't be judgmental. Don't hold each other in contempt. So, so that's my thing, you know, our, this, this brother, the preacher, the gospel makes a different decision than us. I didn't make that decision, could have made it, but we didn't, we decided not to. But you know what? He answers to God for that, we answer to God for this. And I'm not gonna put a stumbling block in his way by speaking about him and being judgmental toward him and in contempt. Does this make sense? We need to do this with each other in the Christian realm, okay? So what's a Christian to do? Uh, be good neighbors. And finally, don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. Easy to get sidetracked in conspiracies. Easy to get sidetracked worrying about the coronavirus. Easy to get sidetracked, oh no, this other Christians are doing this or they're not doing that. Easy. No, no, no. Look, that's what Jesus said, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all the commands I've given. Go and make disciples. 
yeah, Lord, but I got this coronavirus thing. Go and make disciples. I know you got to go, go and make disciples. Well, yeah, but there's some conspiracies happening. Jesus says, I know it. Go and make disciples. <laughs> well, these, these Christians aren't doing what I think they ought to do. Go make disciples. And that means you and I need to be consciously aware as we walk through life, there's a whole lot of people being controlled by a whole lot of things, right? A whole lot of different kinds of stuff. But you and I ought to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and the mission that God has given us. And we need to be faithful and we need to be flexible. As a church, we need to be flexible. Personally, we need to be caring. We need to be consistent and looking. God, where during this virus are you opening an opportunity to me to make disciples, whether it's to share the gospel or help a Christian grow or serve? And so where's that? And that's a different way of looking at your life. I really encourage you to do that. And so here's the deal. So we are in this boat, navigating some pretty stormy water. It's like the disciples. And we aren't going to make it. And they finally woke the Lord. Lord, don't you care that we're dying? And I think Jesus got up and, you know, trying to rub us. And he looks around and he says, okay, stop. Wind, stop. And the wind stops. Calm. And he looks at the disciples, and I don't think he was mean. He says, why are you so fearful? Why do you have so little faith here? Because think about this. Jesus said, okay, we're going to go from here to there. So if Jesus said that's what we're going to do, guess what's going to happen? That's what we're going to do. And not only did he do it, but he was in the boat with them. Jesus was in the boat with them. Now, they might have still woke him up and said, Lord, can you do something about this, right? But they didn't need to be fearful. They needed to believe. And, and so the reality is, if you know Jesus, I know Jesus, and certainly as a church we do, Jesus is in our boat. And he's got things for us to do. And he's made promises to us about them. He's going to keep those promises. He's going to do what he said. We ought to do what we are supposed to do. Because Jesus is in our boat. Now, if you're here today or you're watching online and Jesus isn't in your boat, and by that I mean you've never been a time when you once and for all made that decision that, wow, you know, my way of living is wrong, sinful, that I need the Lord, and, and you turn to the Lord and you, you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and then you open up your heart and say, Lord, I receive Christ as Savior. I, I accept his payment for my sins, and I'm going to... You're my Lord, and I'm going to follow you. But this idea of receiving Christ as Savior. If you've never done that, you've got to do that. And all you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus is indeed who the Bible says he is, and that he did what the Bible says he did for you, dying for your sins, rising again from the dead. And then you just personally have to say, okay, God, I get it. I need a Savior. I'm on my way to hell, <laughs> headed the way I'm going. I need a Savior. And you invite Christ into your life. To, you know, to, to be that. And the moment that happens, he forgives every sin. You have eternal life when this life is over and he moves inside and begins making changes, good changes on you from the inside out. It all starts with that decision. That's, you just need to take care of that with God. Say, God, that's me and that's what I want. All right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that as we face these uncertain times that you are stable 
and we can always count on you. And I pray, Lord, we'd take to heart that uh, even though we have to deal with all of these things, Father, I pray that we would not let them take control of our lives. We would only let you control our lives. In the middle of it all, Lord, that we would allow you to work in us and through us to others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before you go, before you go, I want to encourage you is that uh, out there in the foyer, we have the computer and a camera and a microphone all set up for go to meetings. So hopefully we'll have some people joining us there. Can I encourage you to go by and look and see who's on there and say, hey, hi to whoever, because they'll be able to see you and you'll be able to see them, okay? I think it just help us to feel like we're a little more connected, all right? God bless you. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us today.